promises of the gospel every time that we worship our, our Lord, that those who turn to Christ for mercy, uh, the Savior whom God has sent, have the grace and forgiveness of God. And we worship, the, we worship God, therefore, with a clean conscience because of what God has done for us, making this possible. Let's now open the Word of God that He would teach and instruct us. We have been working our way through the book of Kings, and we find ourselves in 2 Kings chapter 20. Second Kings 20, a chapter that deals with the end of, of the life of King Hezekiah. Um, we've uh, seen some of Hezekiah's life in earlier chapters. Now we come to the, the later years. Second Kings 20, beginning in verse 1. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. And I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil, that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day? And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to, king, uh, to, to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say, and from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They have come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, 
Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made the pool and the conduit and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh his son reigned in his place. Let's also turn to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 38. Isaiah 38 uh, records some of these same events and also records a a song or a prayer that Hezekiah wrote uh, during those days when he was sick. Isaiah 38. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Then the word of the Lord came to Isaiah, David, your father. I have heard your prayer in years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be the sign from, to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back ten steps. So the sun turned back on the the dial the ten steps by which it had declined. A writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, after he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, in the middle of my days I must depart, and I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. I said, I shall not see the Lord, the Lord in the land of the living. I shall look on man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My dwelling is plucked up and removed from me like a shepherd's tent. Like a weaver, I have rolled up my life. He cuts me from the loom. From day to night, you bring me to an end. I calmed myself until morning. Like a lion, he breaks all my bones. From day to night, you bring me to an end. Like a swallow or a crane, I chirp. I moan like a dove. My eyes are weary with with looking upward. O Lord, I am oppressed. Be my pledge of safety. What shall I say? For he has spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I walked slowly all my years because of the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these is the life of my spirit. O restore me to health and make me live. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness. But in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction, for you have cast all my sins from behind your all my sins behind your back. For Sheol does not thank you, death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. The living, the living, he thanks you, as I do this day. The Father makes known to the children your faithfulness. The Lord will save me. And we will play my music on stringed instruments all the days of our lives at the house of the Lord. Now Isaiah had said, Let them take a cake of figs and apply it to the boil, that he may recover. Hezekiah also had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of the Lord? So far, the reading from Isaiah 38. As we reflect on all that we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 62, stanzas 5 through 7. The text to which we want to give our special attention this morning is 2 Kings 20, the chapter that we read 
concerning the last days of Hezekiah. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we get nearer and nearer to the end of the book of Kings, one of the things that we're going to find as we draw closer to the end is that the, the abiding lessons, the, the, the deep lasting lessons of this book of Kings are going to become clearer and clearer to us and laid out with increasing force as we come to the very last chapters. Uh, God wants us to see them. As we look back on the reign of so many kings, God wants us to learn uh, the lessons that God has laid down over the course of this book. Uh, the, the lessons that God wants ringing in our ears, so to speak, uh, will become increasingly clear. Uh, something we should notice from the outset as we look at this chapter is that the events of this chapter, uh, in, uh, the, the events of Hezekiah's life in this chapter, chronologically speaking, uh, are out of order. Uh, they happened, at least some of them happened, before the last chapter. Uh, the chapter that describes the siege of Assyria. Uh, you can see in verse 1 that uh, these events happened in the 14th year of Hezekiah, which is the same year that the last chapter is dated. Uh, but we have to assume that this happened then before the siege of, uh, uh, of Assyria, or, or the siege of Jerusalem by, by Assyria, uh, for several reasons. One, because uh, the Part of the promise from Isaiah is not only that Hezekiah would recover, but that the Assyrians would get out of town, which, if we're assuming this happened after the last chapter, they already did. They were already gone. And second, it's hard to imagine an envoy coming from Babylon with gifts and everything, somehow making it through the Assyrian siege if this happened after the events of the last chapter. Uh, and, and thirdly, because Hezekiah shows them the, we know this because Hezekiah shows them the vast treasures of his storehouse, uh, which he had absolutely emptied uh, when he tried to pay off the Assyrians, so he wouldn't have had anything to, to show off. Uh, so the best way to, to work through those, those uh, facts is, is to assume that this, the events of this chapter happened at the beginning of, of Hezekiah's 14th year, and the events of the last chapter happened towards the later part of, of that same year. Uh, that's, that's an important fact to observe if we're going to take that interpretation, because then we have to ask, why? Uh, why did the author of Kings put it this way, out of order chronologically? Uh, why did he leave these two stories until last, even though they, they likely happened first? Uh, and I would argue it's because uh, the, the author wants these lessons to be heard loud and clear as we close Hezekiah's life and look back on it, that there are things in these events that we should hear and, and recognize. Uh, now, uh, that being said, before we get into all the details, there's also a, a simple human observation that we want to make as we look at Hezekiah's life as a whole. Uh, this happened in the 14th year of Hezekiah, and the thing that you learn in the last chapter is that during those first 14 years, Hezekiah was tremendously blessed by God. He prospered. God blessed him. God uh, prospered all that he did uh, and gave him success. Well, you notice how quickly and how radically Hezekiah's life changed 
during that 14th year. Uh, God blessed him and prospered him for 14 years. Uh, and from that vantage point, prior to his sickness and prior to the Assyrian siege, it might have looked like he was going to be one of the most prosperous and successful kings that Judah had ever had after 14 years of, of success. Uh, he had a beautiful beginning and, as far as he could tell, a bright future. And then this happens. He gets a terminal illness, and then the Assyrian invasion on top of that. And the next 15 years of Hezekiah's reign were radically different than the first 14. Uh, So for what it's worth, here's a thought to, to take home. You don't know what chapters God has in store for your life. Uh, Some of you are in your 20s or 30s or or 40s, and perhaps you've experienced what seems to be an endless stream of God's blessing and success and prospering. Uh, Do give thanks for that, but don't forget that the next half of your life might be, like Hezekiah's, radically different than the first half. Uh, God can, can use afflictions to grow and refine your faith such that the latter half becomes the real defining half of your life. It happens all the time. Circumstances can change quickly and radically as they did with Hezekiah. And very often the most defining years of our life are the ones where God is using our afflictions to refine us, to grow us, to make us into the people he's called us to be. Now, that's what happened to Hezekiah, and we can uh, well imagine and perhaps uh, relate to that, that night of bitter weeping that he describes that marks the transition point to, to the second half of his life. Well, in that vein, uh, the verse that uh, probably stands out most in Hezekiah's song, we read his song in, in Isaiah 38, and it describes a, a, a terrible, that, that terrible, terrible night and, and the anguish of, of his heart. Well, the verse that stands out in that song uh, is, is verse 17, where he says, Behold, it was for my welfare that I had this great bitterness stands out right there in the middle of the song, all his, uh, his grief and his anguish and his crying out to God. And then in the middle of that song, he says, but it was for my good. It was for my good that God thus afflicted me. Uh, uh, even though Hezekiah was eventually delivered from that, uh, that illness, uh, temporarily, he still died young. He died at 54 years old, so, so he still died young. Uh, but, but that experience evidently humbled him, chastened him, and, and refined his faith, preparing him for glory so that he can look back and say, that was good for me, that that night was exactly what I needed. It's what God gave me for my good. Uh, And and there, once again, uh, we we can observe that Hezekiah really is a man after God's own heart, a lot like David. That's what we saw in the last chapter, that that Hezekiah is the first king, the first king to be described as as a man who obeyed God like David his father. So that's the the parallel that's being pushed in in both of these chapters, that that Hezekiah is like David. He is our second David. Uh, And we see that in in the way that that Hezekiah looks back on those afflictions. Uh, you, you, You see the same things in David, Psalm 32. Uh, describes David's experience of being chastened and humbled by God because of his sin. Or or, uh, Psalm 119, verse 71 says, It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. 
these, uh, th- this is the experience of, of one who is chastened and humbled by God. Uh, so there's a life lesson for us. We don't know what God has in, in store for us either. Uh, but certainly one thing we can learn from David and from Hezekiah is that God uses the harder events of our lives and the later chapters often of our lives to, to really refine us and prepare us for glory. Uh, with that being said, there, there are some specifics that we want to pay attention to here in chapter 20. Uh, again, Hezekiah is presented to us as the king who's finally like David, the first one who can be described as a man like David. Uh, chapter 18, verse 3, uh, told us that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord all the days of his life, just like his father David. Uh, in, our, in our sermon last time we looked at Hezekiah, we, we spent some time thinking about what a relief that is. After so many miserable kings or compromised kings, what a relief, what a breath of fresh air it is to hear, here's a king who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like David. Uh, we've been waiting a long time for that. And, and the last chapter shows what a blessing that, that really is. It is a blessing to have a man like David in the throne. But in this chapter, there are now some additional uh, parallels to David's life uh, that perhaps are more disconcerting, that maybe make us think uh, perhaps this, this king is a little bit too much like King David. Uh, because here's the problem. The first David, uh, the one that we're, we're waiting for another king to be like him, the first David, for all of his faith and for all of his virtues, nonetheless failed to establish the kingdom of God. The, the, the kingdom of God did not get established. In fact, it fell into disarray uh, towards the end of David's life, precisely because of David's own sins and failures. Why would we expect that a second David is going to fix that. Uh, The first David was not the king we needed. Why would a second David be? Uh, So if if we've been reading the book of Kings, and every time we hear, uh, this man served the Lord, or or he he served the Lord half-heartedly, not like David his father, if that's been leading us to to wish for a man like David, uh, perhaps we've not been raising our hopes as high as we ought to have been. Because if all we're going to get is another David... That's still not going to be enough. As I read through this chapter, I couldn't help but be reminded of how much like David Hezekiah really was. Uh, here's, here's, here's a positive uh, parallel. In verse 1, Hezekiah receives the news from God that he's going to die. And it's a sure thing. Uh, Isaiah the prophet even drives that home. You surely will not recover. Uh, there ain't no way you're getting out of this. Uh, all, all we know about this disease is it was some boil or abscess uh, that, that, uh, uh, that he had contracted. And, and God sent Isaiah to him to say, set your house in order. You shall die. You shall not recover. Well, in response to that word from God, what's Hezekiah's response? Is it to throw up his hands and say, well, God said it, so there's nothing I can do. No, he turns to God in prayer. Uh, and, and praise to God for mercy. Now, some of us might be surprised by that, given the word that came from Isaiah. Uh, because Isaiah's word was very clear. You won't recover from this. You're not going to get better. Uh, so what, what makes Hezekiah think that he can change God's mind on, on an announcement like that? And yet it reminds you of David, doesn't it? 
That's exactly what uh, the prophet Nathan said to David as well after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And God told David in no uncertain terms, that child is going to die. And what's David's response? Seven days of weeping, of, of fasting, of, of falling on his face before God uh, until the day the child died. Now, we might look back on that and say, what made David think he could change God's mind? Uh, God, when God says it, he's going to do it. Uh, what made David think he could change God's mind? I don't know. Uh, but he says to his servants in, in, in 2 Samuel 12, While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows? Who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me that the child might live? So he prayed because he believed that prayer matters, that it makes a difference even when you've heard a sure word from God. Uh, it's still worth it to pray. Now, that was David's response, and that's a faith that we should learn from. Now, we might look back on David and say, well, God didn't change his mind, so, so evidently David was, was wrong. That child still, still died. Uh, and yet David never expresses re- regret for, for trying, for praying. And God never rebukes him for praying, uh, even though God had told him what he was going to do. Uh, David believed that nonetheless, God listens to our prayers, and who knows whether God might yet show mercy. And and Hezekiah here is the proof that David was right about that. Uh, Because here too, Hezekiah gets a sure word from God, and, and yet he prays and he weeps and he fasts, And God did, so to speak, change his mind. God told Isaiah, go back and tell him, you will recover. You're going to get better on the third day. God does act in response to our prayers. Prayer and fasting does matter. Uh, The Apostle James tells us the same in in James chapter 5. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it works. And, And that's true even though God will always do what God in His sovereignty has planned and decreed to do. Uh, We don't know, though, what God has decreed He will do. So prayer matters. God acts in response to our prayers. Sometimes He lets the child die, or He lets the cancer or the sickness progress. And yet the faith of David and the faith of Hezekiah uh, ought to be for us a reminder, it's still worth it to pray. It's still worth it. You don't know what God will do. Uh, so as I read this, I immediately thought of, of, of David and his prayer. And there really is a, a striking similarity there, even in very different circumstances. The same faith, the same confidence that God will hear and God will act in response to my prayer, even though God has said what he will do. There's an encouraging uh, parallel in, in David and Hezekiah's lives. Now, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, this sign um, if you're curious about this sign and, and the shadow and, and what's that all about. Uh, evidently, there was a flight uh, of, of stairs on the palace uh, over which the sun would cast a shadow that would grow longer and longer as the day progressed. 
so essentially, God offered Hezekiah two options for a sign. Uh, either that, that shadow can progress forward ten steps, presumably at a faster rate than normal, otherwise it's not really an impressive sign. Uh, so either the, the, the shadow can go ten steps forward uh, in its usual course, or it can go backwards up the steps, uh, ten steps, reversing its usual course. Now, we can ask the, uh, the, the astronomical questions. Did the sun stop in the sky, or did, did the earth uh, start turning the, the opposite direction? There, there's a lot of reasons to believe that didn't happen. Uh, certainly, if we believe the God of the Bible who created heaven and earth by his word, uh, we say that could have happened. God can do that. If God made it, it's not that difficult to believe God can can, can change uh, what, what happens in, in this universe. There's an example in Joshua 10 where, where God causes the sun to stand still in the sky. Uh, we can ask all kinds of astronomical questions about how did God do that. Well, God did it. God made it. Uh, if, if you believe in a God who can make it, it's a small step to believe in a God who can uh, suspend the rules of the universe that he created. Uh, But the text doesn't say anything about the sun reversing its course, but rather only the shadow. Uh, And the more natural interpretation is God simply caused the shadow to reverse its course, even though the sun uh, remained where it was or continued its its usual course. Uh, Obviously still a miracle, still in in defiance of God's, uh, or excuse me, in defiance of the laws of of physics, but, but simply a local event. Uh, we don't read anywhere else of, of any astronomical events happening in the annals of, of Assyria or Babylon, and they often recorded uh, those, those sorts of things. Uh, and, and that interpretation is reinforced by the fact that these Babylonians come later on, uh, and, and Second Chronicles actually tells us one of the reasons why they came was to inquire about this event with the shadow reversing its, its usual course. Uh, the Babylonians were as- obsessed with astrology, so any, anything like this would have been right up their alley. They would have wanted to know what's that all about. Uh, but if, if it had been an, an event that happened all over the earth, the sun re- literally reversing its course, uh, the, the Babylonians would have had no reason to go to Jerusalem to ask about it. Uh, why would they care about what happened in Jerusalem? Uh, so that seems to indicate it was, it was a local event, something that happened there in, in Jerusalem. Uh, then we get the, the story of these Babylonian envoys. Uh, here again, we see a parallel to the life of David. The circumstances are different, but the heart is, is very much the same. Let's look at those verses again. Verse 12. Uh, at that time, Merodach Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent envoys with, a letter, uh, with, with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, and all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Now remember, this is uh, likely before the siege. Uh, so this is still when, when Hezekiah was in the, the, the first chapter of his life, so to speak, during those, those 14 years of prosperity. Uh, and this visit seems innocent enough. These envoys come and they want to see your, your palace. And, and, and they, they came expressly here because they had heard he was sick. So it, it seems like it's a sick visit. Or Second Chronicles tells us they were also interested in, in the shadow uh, thing. Uh, so it seems innocent enough. 
But why, uh, why did Hezekiah need to show off everything that he had? That tells us there was something less than innocent going on. There was something uh, with his pride. Again, Second Chronicles is more explicit about us, telling us explicitly that Hezekiah did have a problem with his pride. Uh, but we should be able to already hear, read between the lines, and recognize that's what's going on. Hezekiah is showing off. During these 14 years of God blessing him, he starts to feel like, maybe this has something to do with me. And he shows off what he has to these Babylonian envoys. Uh, by the way, at this point, uh, just a historical fact, uh, Babylon at this point was not a significant world power. This was almost a hundred years before Babylon became an empire. So at this time, uh, Babylon was just a great city in the, in the empire of Assyria. Uh, so... so we also should not think, some commentaries try to think this was some attempt to, to form a military coalition, but Babylon didn't have its own military. They were part of the Assyrian Empire. Uh, rather, it seems to be more just a friendly visit and Hezekiah showing off what he had. But it is kind of nice, if you think about it, isn't it nice to be, to be noticed by important people, by a great city? Uh, you, can, you can understand how Hezekiah uh, falls into this trap of showing off all that he has, believing it has something to do with him. And that's what's going on in these verses. Uh, after, after 14 years of being blessed by God, the success seems to have gotten to Hezekiah's head. And so we, when he receives this visit from these, these, these foreign dignitaries all the way from Babylon, it feels good to show off to them all that he has. Judah is back on the map in, in Hezekiah's mind. Uh, it was pride, and it was a lapse in faith. It was putting his trust in man, a sign that his heart was not all the way in the right place. And I wonder if this, too, reminds you of David. There's, a, there's an event in, in 2 Samuel 24 during the most successful and the most prosperous moment in David's reign when there was peace, it says in that chapter, from enemies on every side. David then orders a census of the armies of Israel. And it was so out of character for David to, to trust in man, to order a census of, of, of his people, something that had been forbidden by God. It was so out of character, particularly with no battle even on the horizon, that even Joab, the commander of the army, who was far from a righteous or godly man, even Joab says to David in that event, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, uh, while the eyes of the Lord my king see it, but why does the Lord my king delight in this sort of thing? Even Joab gets, this is pride. This is you delighting in your strength, in the power of man. Uh, David didn't need to count his armies. He did it because he wanted to. He was proud. And so here we see a similar thing with Hezekiah. Uh, here's the thing, Hezekiah really is a king after David's heart. And at this point, we should be thinking perhaps a little bit too much after David's heart. Because David's heart was not a perfect heart. 
We see this once more in the way that Hezekiah responds to God's judgment. Uh, As soon as these Babylonian, Babylonian envoys had left, Isaiah confronted him about them and asked him who they were and what they'd seen. And Hezekiah admits, yeah, I I showed them everything. They wanted to see everything, so I I showed them everything. Uh, And then the word of the Lord comes to Isaiah and he says to Hezekiah in verse 17, Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried off to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. Now look at how Hezekiah responds to that word from God. Verse 19, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, why not, if there will be peace and security in my days. Now, how's that for the heart of a king who who cares for his people? All he says is, okay, the word of the Lord's good. At least it'll be good in my days. What in the world is going on there? Now, a lot of commentaries try to spin this in a more positive light. Uh, they, they say, well, we don't know everything. We don't know what Hezekiah's tone was like when he, when he said that. Maybe Hezekiah was just thankful for Judah's sake that the, the, the Babylon, Babylonian armies would at least delay, uh, that it wouldn't happen right away. But he, he says explicitly here in his response, he says what mattered to him. He says, as long as there's peace and security in my Days. This is about Hezekiah. This is about his peace and his security. Uh, other commentaries take the approach of, well, well, maybe Hezekiah is just acknowledging that God is sovereign, and, and when God says he's going to do something, God's going to do it, so why, why fight it? Well, wait a minute. Hezekiah had just shown that he, that he knew better than that when the judgment was against him. When it was his sickness, even though the word from God was sure... Hezekiah fasts, and Hezekiah prays, and Hezekiah weeps. When the word of God comes against Judah, Hezekiah shrugs his shoulders and says, Well, at least it's not in my days. Well, once again, we, we, we can see that Hezekiah is, is sadly a little more like David than we might have hoped. Uh, in, in that same incident that I mentioned earlier in 2 Samuel 24, when David had ordered the census of the armies of Israel, God responded in judgment, and God gave David three options. Uh, he could have three years of famine, uh, three months of David personally fleeing from before his, his enemies, or three days of pestilence in the land. Uh, and David chose either option one or three. Uh, uh, he, he says, let us... In that, in that text, he says, Let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercy is great, but let me not fall into the hand of man. Only one of those three options involved David alone suffering. The other two involved all the people. And David's response is, How about all of us fall into the hands of the Lord, and let me not fall into the hand of my enemies? Uh, It's not hard to interpret that as a selfish decision. And in fact, David himself acknowledges that later uh, in that same chapter when David saw the severity of the pestilence uh, that God sent upon the land. He repented and prayed to the Lord saying, now he says, behold, I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? So let your hand be against me and against my father's house. Uh, David recognizes that was a selfish decision. Well, here we see uh, a sad parallel in Hezekiah to the life of David. 
thinking of himself. So here's the point. If there's any way to, to summarize this chapter, I would say it's here to give us a fuller picture of the heart of Hezekiah, which has been described as a heart like that of King David. And as much as that is something for us to praise God for and, and to rejoice in, we need a king like that. It's been a long time in Judah since we've had a king like that. Nonetheless, a heart like David's is a heart that is still human, that is still sinful, and that is far too often selfish and self-interested, too willing uh, to let God's people suffer for his own sins. And that is still, therefore, nowhere near the kind of heart that we actually need to establish the kingdom of God. Uh, So the reality is, uh, King Hezekiah was the best king we could possibly hope for. After the long list of failures or compromised kings, uh, truly, uh, a heart like David's is a breath of fresh air. The best that we could hope for. Uh, uh, The first time that, that that's ever happened since David himself. And yet here we are at the end of Hezekiah's life, and now we have to take to heart the lesson, uh, if the first David failed to establish a kingdom of righteousness and to lead God's people in God's ways, uh, what were we actually expecting with a second David? And we've already had one, and as glorious as his kingdom was, it didn't last, and it didn't last precisely because of David's own sins and failures. What did we expect with another David? So here's the thing, as we consider the the legacy of Hezekiah in his final years, if there's any lesson we want to take home, it is the best of men are still men at best. It's time that we start raising our hopes higher than simply looking for someone like David. We need someone far, far greater than David. And so, brothers and sisters, I'm convinced that this chapter is here to serve a pivotal role in the book of Kings to prepare our hearts to hope for Christ, to hope not for David, not for another David, but for Christ. Uh, we can give thanks for men like Hezekiah who, who have a heart like David's. It is refreshing. It is a breath of fresh air. Uh, but it's not going to be enough to bring about the kingdom of God, not by a long shot. Uh, what we are taught to see and taught to hope for in a chapter like this uh, is for a king who's much more than David, indeed much more than the best of men, because they are only men at best. Uh, So this chapter teaches us to direct our hearts to Christ. Everything that was praiseworthy and desirable in David or in Hezekiah, uh, we find still in far greater measure in Christ. You think of how David and how Hezekiah uh, uh, demonstrate their, their confidence in the power of God. Well, how much more didn't Christ demonstrate throughout his life perfect confidence in the power of God, confidence that made him willing to fall before the Father in prayer over and over and over, entrusting himself to God, even when it meant personal suffering and personal anguish. Uh, Far unlike other men, even the best of them, like David and Hezekiah, Christ came in perfect humility, in perfect submission, to be the David that David himself never was, uh, to lay his life down, to not lay the people's life down for his sake, 
but to lay his life down for the people's sake. And, and that, that is the most glorious truth of all here. Uh, uh, I'm sure every one of us would be, would be humbled and grateful if a king like David or a king like Hezekiah were to lay down his life for, for ours. Uh, we, 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 when, when this happens here on earth, that one man lays his life down for another, uh, we as a society uh, are all amazed by it and, and, and we give praise to God for it. Uh, I, I think of uh, last year, in, in March of last year, uh, it, there was a colonel in the French police force. Uh, perhaps you remember seeing this, this story. Uh, an Islamist gunman uh, stormed into, uh, into the supermarket and seized a group of hostages uh, and and uh, Lieutenant Colonel Arnold Beltram was one of the first police officers to respond to to this this incident. And during the standoff, all of the hostages managed to to get away, except for one uh, that that had no hope of of getting away. And that's when the the most surprising thing happened. The colonel, when he when he realized the danger that last hostage was in, he he took his his gun and laid it down and and asked the the terrorist if he could exchange places with with the hostage and uh, amazingly uh, perhaps this is the hand of god here that the, this terrorist accepted uh, that exchange it's a true story uh, and, uh, and and so inside the the so so the two switched places the colonel now being the hostage uh, in in this supermarket uh, there inside the supermarket the colonel tried his best to negotiate with the uh, with the gunman, uh, but the gunman eventually saw this was going nowhere, lost his patience, and shot and killed the the colonel. Uh, as soon as the police heard the gunshot, they stormed in, shot the terrorist, and, and that was the end of that. Uh, but the colonel died of his injuries that day. Well, perhaps you remember seeing this story in the news, the gratitude and the amazement of the French people at, at the sacrifice of that colonel taking the place of, of that hostage. Uh, when we as a society see that, it's a breath of fresh air. We say, who does that? Uh, who's willing? What kind of police officer is willing to do that? Uh, stories like that are awe-inspiring because they're so unusual. It's a breath of fresh air. But if it's an awe-inspiring thing for a, a human, a sinful colonel to lay down his life for a stranger, how much more amazing is it that the only righteous man, the, the, the only one ever to have lived, laid down his life for his enemies to save them, to take their place? Uh, in this way, uh, King Jesus is still the polar opposite of King David and King Hezekiah, who laid the people's life down for, to, to save theirs. He lays his life down to save the people's. Uh, Mark 10, verse 45, Jesus himself says it, Even the Son of Man came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, that, brothers and sisters, that is the kind of king this chapter is here to teach us to look for. Not a king who, uh, who is like us, not a king who's like David or like Hezekiah, but a truly righteous, truly perfect king who goes far, far and above, categorically different than David or Hezekiah. That's the only kind of king who's ever going to establish the kingdom of God. Well, here's a critical point of application then. If, if our view of Christ is that he was a really good person, 
And that's, that's all he was. If that's our view, this chapter shoots that idea full of holes. Because here, after a century or two, is the best kind of person you can hope to get after a long series of failures. Uh, we've been waiting two centuries for this guy. He's the best we can get. And we realize by the, end the, by the end of this chapter, he's nowhere near the kind of king, the kind of person we actually need. Uh, if, if, the, if all that Christ was was a really good man, there's no hope that he could ever establish the kingdom of God. Uh, this chapter is here to proclaim that w- the best you can hope for among men doesn't come close to what's required for the kingdom of God. He alone, Christ alone, as God and as perfect man, is the only hope of this world. Uh, with that in mind, here's a second very practical point of application. Uh, here in our country, uh, we have our own kings and, and prime ministers and, and presidents and, and all that. Uh, and, and this year, we're, we're in an election year. Uh, and we need to realize, we'll be very lucky if we get a king whose, whose heart is like David's. I uh, wouldn't put your hopes out there. Uh, I doubt we will. Uh, but it, we can be very thankful. It would be a breath of fresh air, wouldn't it, if we had a king like David or like Hezekiah. But even if we did, should we be putting our hopes there? Should we be fighting with all our energy for that and talking all the time about how good things would be if we got that? This chapter tells us it's not going to make much of a difference. Uh, the best of men are still men at best. Don't spend more time campaigning for men than praying to God, the king of the universe. Uh, Even David himself would have said it. Psalm 108, vain, he says, is the salvation of man. Or, Or Psalm 146, verse 3, don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. I'm not saying don't pray for a a prime minister like David. We should pray for that. That would be a blessing in in this land. But even if we got such a man, it would only be uh, the the effect of uh, of the transforming power of the gospel on this country. And it certainly wouldn't be the cause of of a culture transformation in, in this country. Don't put your trust in man. The only hope we have for this world, for this country, and of course for the kingdom of God uh, is the gospel of Jesus Christ grounded in the perfect person of Christ himself. Uh, He is the one who reigns in heaven, who's building his kingdom, and he's the only hope for our lives, for our church, and for this country. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, on this, on this Sunday, this, this day of our Lord, uh, take the time to consider the most important thing of all, that Christ is our King, and that you, by God's grace, are part of that kingdom. Uh, for all the, uh, the, the weaknesses and shortcomings of even the best of the earthly kings, uh, we should then be reminded uh, what a blessing it is that our King is perfect, that our King reigns, and that with Him will come the kingdom of God. That's our only hope. Amen.